Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org, where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Erica. Hi, everybody. My name is Erica. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi. I'm going to pass pictures around for those of you who are listening. I'm sorry. But <laughs> um, to qualify, I have eight and a half years of abstinence out of relapse, and I'm maintaining uh, my range is between 115 and 120 pounds down from my top weight, and I'm astoundingly grateful for this program. So that's <laughs> And thank you so much, Susan, for asking me to share. And um, welcome to all the newcomers. I'm blown away. I go to my in the valley, and we don't quite have such a plethora of newcomers, so mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Welcome. Um, I have a very long and winding story. It was interesting when I did the, the sign-in um, you know, the, the release form and said, how long, you, when did you come into program? And I hesitated because I first came in in 1991. I don't consider myself having stuck until 2002. Um, but I do know, and uh, happy birthday, happy birthday. Um, I do know that this is the last house on the block. I'm one of those that has tried everything. Uh, I always say I'm a dyed-in-the-wool compulsive overeater. I think being a 100-pounder makes me extra special. (laughs) You know, not that I'm any better or worse, but it's just a special form of crazy. And and it has beaten me down many, many times. Um, I don't like to say I'm a relapse survivor. It sounds corny to me, but I have relapsed twice. And um, I don't relapse in a light petite-like fashion. I go out with a bang kind of a thing. Um, and the first time I came in, I'm, I'm very grateful. It was interesting the other day I was remembering, you know, somebody on a, I listen to phone meetings as well, and as long as going to face-to-face meetings. And somebody was saying uh, how grateful they were for their, to their Eskimo for bringing them into program and how they that person saved their life. And I was thinking about it. I was like, my mom is my Eskimo. And what a miracle. It's like not only did she push me out and give me life, but she gave me this program. And um, that is a miracle because the seed was planted very early. I was, I was one of those young teens in meetings sitting off to the side, kind of trying to soak it in, but not really. And so it was always in the back of my mind. And then when I was uh, 19 at my top weight of 250 pounds, um, and I have to say it was not a pleasant time. I'm one of those people that I don't function when I'm eating. I am um, extraordinarily afraid of life as it is. And when you bring food and, and being obese into the picture, um, we're talking um, dro- I dropped out of high school. Um, I wore big wool coats in the summertime. I crossed the street when I saw kids my own age. I was just scared to death of everything, and I hid a lot. I read a lot, watched a lot of TV, and ate. Um, and you will see in my pictures there are horses in there. That was the only thing that got me out of the house, thank God. Otherwise, I would have been completely unsocialized uh, across the board. And so high school for me was agonizing, and um, I ended up getting hitting my bottom with food as far as physical, my physical bottom of like, wow, I'm going to look in the mirror and not just look at my head like for some reason the head was cool we were all good with the head and then I was going to a concert and my ego is just so just so huge 
and I was going to be front row center at the Universal Amphitheater, and in my compulsory overeating addict mind, everybody was going to be, all 14,000 people were going to be looking at my fats, and um, I lost it. I lost my crap, and I just started crying, and I just broke down, and it was like, hey, Mom, I know you're going to those OA meetings, and I, I'd like to come too. And I'm grateful that she never tried to force me because uh, I, you know, I'm the petulant, you know, screw you. I'm, you can just do whatever you want. I'm not doing anything. In fact, I'll eat more. Like that. That's how I'm gonna. I'm gonna get you back. And she never did that. And so I started going to meetings in '91. And I remember sitting at the table. You know, it was. You know, we they shared round robin, and I was petrified that they were going to call on me to share, and I passed for a very long time. You'd never know it now because you can't get me to shut up. But at the time, I was like, I'd had one friend that she was like, if you don't f and share, I'm going to kill you. Like she just couldn't stand it. Um, and I just remember sitting there at one of those meetings, going, Wow, maybe there's a chance for me to stop eating. Maybe there's a chance. And um, I was one of those that I would eat a whole entire pizza from Domino's every day. And I still know the number in Burbank, still to, by heart. <laughs> and I would shove, and this was a large. This was not a mini or a side order. This was a large. And then I, my mom would come home, and I'd say, what's to eat? What is there to eat? And I grew up in the kind of home where we had the best of intentions, where it was, um, at the time, it was Mrs. Gooch's, not Whole Foods. And the house would be brimming with all this health food, and then we would go out and binge pretty much regularly and all that food would rot like that's how I grew up and so at the time I was just like uh, I say a gutter drunk of food I mean just a gutter drunk of food at, the, at that time thank God I hadn't stolen food yet that was later on um, but I got into program in 91 as I said and um, I'm so grateful that I was taught early on about the importance of working the steps and thank you for one of the chip takers for talking about that it's, it's for me I am incapable of dieting. And in, for me, the steps clear the way for my higher power to come in and remove the, expel the obsession. And if I'm not in the steps for me, working the steps every day and then learning to apply them in my life on a daily basis, I will go right back to the food. Uh, so when I was in that first time, I was in for a little over five years, and towards the end it got... My program was very small. It was based on, like, two friends and a sponsor and two meetings, and I ended up hating all of it and was like, you know, I didn't have the wherewithal to go to different meetings or make new friends or find a new sponsor that worked for me. I just was like, oh, I'm so bitter, and I just was, like, flipping the bird big time to OA. I did not want to ever come back. And meanwhile, you know, I, took, I think I took my five-year candle, and it was one of those am I abstinent or not candles, which I don't ever want ever, to ever do again. It's so agonizing. It was agonizing for me. And I left, and I left for eight years, and um, I do have multiple addictions. One of them is love addiction. And, boy, did that blossom because I was no longer 250 pounds. I was still heavy. Uh, I yo-yoed between, like, the 180s and the 220, 230s. And for me, the diet was a man. So if there was somebody in my life, I was like, oh, I can eat like a bird. I'm just so special. Look at me. And I'd lose weight. And then there wouldn't be anybody. And then I would, like, in a month, gain 30 pounds. And people would not recognize me when they saw me. And so in those eight years, I hit just that emotional bottom of I was going through withdrawals for that addiction in another program, and I could not stop eating. And I was eating 
horrendous foods that I'm usually a snob about my binge foods, but this was like the corner Circle K, you know, 99 cent, X, Y, and Z. I was like pounding it, and it wasn't working. And I was astounded. Like, after all these decades of life, my lover and my best friend is not working. This is really bad news. This is a bad scene. And I was freaking out. And at the time, I was, like, on the phone with my mom just crying hysterically because I was like, what's next? I mean, I'm not a drug addict. I'm too much of a control freak for that or an alcoholic. Am I going to have to be locked up because the pain is too great? And so what I did is I crawled back to OA in 2002 and um, my ego came with me, and my ego was like, don't you people remember me? Don't you know who I am? I had five years. I'm fabulous, don't you know? And I had this look on my face like, if you come near me, you will die. So it was like a really great combination. But um, there were these women that just, like, embraced me and took me under their wings, you know, for lack of a better term, and were kind of like rubbed my back when I was sad and did things that my mom never did. And it was just so, it was so gentle and so wonderful and so welcoming. And um, and I knew that I had to work the steps. That, that was something that was planted in me early, as I said, I'm very grateful for. And I started working the APOR program, which is the Applied Principles of Alcoholic Recovery, and what that did for me is taught me about Dr. Tybo and Dr. Silkworth and, you know, that book AA Comes of Age is to do the work in that and really learn about the ego and the recuperative power of it, of how, you know, I go to bed at night and I can be squared away and really cool with things. And then I wake up in the morning and my ego's like, hey, what kind of trouble, what kind of self-destructive hell can I put you through today so that the ultimate goal is death? Because that's what my addict my disease wants me to die. It may not be fast. It may not be in a blaze of glory, but it will be some in the form of um, a soul death, a living death. I'll lose my limbs. I'll lose my eyesight. I'll be buried in a box so big that they have to special order it. I mean, like that's what my disease wants for me. It's and I, and I have you know sponsees that are strugg- a sponsee that's struggling and called me and and I'm like this is serious this is not about my lover food this is about the thing that wants me to die and I have to I have to remember that um I also have to remember you know I in these eight and a half years I've always said I'm so scared to death of relapsing again I'm so petrified of relapsing again and I had a, I have a friend who's got a lot of time and program and another hundred pounder and he reminded me he's like this is a gift if you're afraid of it, that means in some way you think you're controlling it. And I cannot for one second think I control this or that I, you know, somehow did the right thing to make myself abstinent. I, I, it just, it had to come from, it has to come from a power greater than myself. And so when I came in, I had three years of abstinence, um, and I got down to a normal weight, and it was shocking to me. And at the same time, it wasn't good enough. It was like... Well, the men aren't lining up, and the opportunities aren't piling up, and I'm not Miss Popular, and everybody doesn't just love me, and I'm pissed. And uh, that was not good, because suddenly, after all this time in program and all this work, I thought that I could manage and control my food. Not so much my food, I was, which really it was my food, but my weight. Like, what kind of joke was that? And I remember at the same time having a talk with my sponsor at the time who... Um, coincidentally or maybe not was relapsing Um, and I I had this talk with her about bread and how you know I've been abstinent for three years and I haven't had bread and I think it should be okay and she's yeah I think it's okay 
And I'm a, I know to now, to this day, right now, that sugar and flour in this body, even fake sugar and flour, even flour that is sprouted off of, like, nails, is a problem for me. It's a huge, huge problem. Um, and then during that time, I went to a nutritionist that told me I could have cereal in certain amounts. No, 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 no. I can eat the most disgusting cereal until I am sick as a dog and then go and find some more and eat it. Like, there is, um, and so basically I could talk about my relapse for a very long time, but it was about nine months in the rooms. I never left, and my ego was punctured like it ain't never been punctured before because I got to get bigger and bigger and bigger while my fellows watched me. I'm grateful for that, but at the same time it was like, Wow, I went from somebody that people ran up to and asked me well, how I did it to, you know, like, you know, they're kind of avoiding me because I was, like, really reeking of the bitterness and the, and the relapse. And, I, you know, at first I was like, you know, they just, you know, what is, what is it, I'm not popular anymore? No, it was because I was really, I'm a bitch on wheels when I'm eating. Let's, let's be frank here. <laughs> I am not a pleasant gal at, by any means at all. So um, it was hell. And... When I was eating, my, my weight was creeping up, and I would call myself technically abstinent. And <laughs> that doesn't work for me. I creeped up 24 pounds. I was having phone calls with fellows in the parking lot of Whole Foods crying, saying, I'm eating. Am I still abstinent? I don't know. Yada, yada, yada. And then finally, at some point, I decided um, I'm no longer abstinent. And um, then it was all bets were off because I had this thing in my mind that if I put all these foods on my abstinence list, I would be safe because my ego really did not want to break my abstinence. And, well, that didn't help because I was doing things like um, towards the end I was calling carob-covered malt balls. That's not sugar. That's carob. And I was binging on those and just all sorts of things. And then it was off to the races. And when I hit pizza again, that's that pizza and ice cream are the ultimate um, – those are the ultimate I'm in hell foods. Like that, then all bets are off. And as I said, I'm grateful I never left because I wanted what you guys had. Those of you that were working the program, that had that recovery in your eyes, that had that, that ability to wake up in the morning and not be hung over from the day before and not have just, you know, come to, I used to go to a meeting and be binging before the meeting and then go home and binge. I mean, like that is just a pain like no other. And I got to the point where I couldn't get a day. I tried to get a day here and there. I would Then I would get a couple of weeks, and then I would break it again, and it just went on and on and on. And I kept with that resolve that I'm going to keep clawing away at this, this part of me that wants recovery. I'm going to keep holding on, and I'm going to keep talking to my higher power. For me, it's God. And I'm going to keep crying, and I'm going to get honest in meetings and say things like, tonight I want to go home and eat, or I have to tell somebody I just ate 3,000 calories, or um, I stole food from my roommate. or You know, I had to really get honest and clean about that stuff. And it was, uh, as I said, ego-puncturing, but it was necessary. And I, had, I think the reason that I relapsed as gloriously as I did is because I didn't get that I wasn't powerless over food. I thought that by admitting I was a compulsive overeater, I had step one down, and I don't. I didn't. Well, I think I do now to the core, to my bone, to my marrow, but it took a lot. 
And I know to this day now that I cannot control my food. I cannot control my weight. It has to come from a power greater than me. And so something clicked one night. I was at the 100-pounders meeting in Reseda. I always like to share the story at the podium, which has always been powerful. You guys are lucky I'm not crying because podiums usually make me cry for some reason. And um, it's up on the wall where it says, actually, on this side, abstinence is the abstinence is the most important thing without exception. Thank you. And I just was crying my eyes out going, I want to go home and eat, and when am I going to have this be the most important thing? And at the time, I was calling people with a lot of years, and I remember I called one lady. She had like 30-something years, and I said, how do you not eat? And she goes, I just don't no matter what. And I tell you, if she had been in front of me, I would have thrown her skinny ass across the room because I was like, you just don't no matter what? What? What is that? I'm dying here, lady. Could you give me some steps here to work? You know, not some steps in the big book, but just like show me the way, okay? And she's like, I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's just how it is. And I go, okay, you've been really helpful. I will not be calling you again. Um, but what happened is... I became abstinent. Within a day or two of that night, I became abstinent. And I I know what happened for me was that desire to be abstinent outweighed my desire to eat. That's all it was. That decision was made that no matter what I had to walk through, and in eight and a half years I've walked through very frightening health scares and health conditions. I've walked through not being employed, being unemployable, not having a place to live for a year and a half, relationship issues, um, just about everything you can think of abstinently. And it's not because I did it. It's because I had that decision that I was going to call whoever I had to call, work whatever tool I needed to work, pray as much as I needed to pray, and follow the direction of my sponsor. And I'm very superstitious about my following sponsor direction. In fact, it gets to the point where it's almost kind of borders on ridiculous because I have to call fellows and go, oh, my God, like, I don't fully agree with this and I need to do it because it's my sponsor. And, you know, I'm learning that there is part of, like, you know, my sponsor does say things like get quiet in meditation and find out the answer, but my head goes to, well, she thinks it should be this way, so I have to do it that way. So that's, that's today's growth that I'm dealing with. Um, so I became abstinent, and what it did for me is it made this the most precious thing. I don't care who you are, if you're my family member, my future husband, a child, I don't, a job, I can't put, what they say, it doesn't, it's not corny, but you've all heard it, whatever you put in front of your abstinence, you'll lose. And I lost all those things. I, I could not work. I could not function. I could not socialize. I could barely leave my house except, of course, to get my binge foods. Um, and so these eight and a half years have been about dealing with the causes and conditions. Why do I eat? Not trying to figure out why I'm a compulsive overeater. It's like people go on and on about, well, it's because this happened in my past and that happened and blah, blah, blah. I am a compulsive overeater. That's it. And the story. And I can't fix it. The same head that got me into the trouble is not going to be the same one to get me out. That's it. Um, so it's been about, okay, this person said this to me and my guts are churning over it. Or I have financial insecurity so badly that I can't sleep. Or I talk to myself so poorly and I treat myself so rottenly that I am like a ball of stress. Like those are the things that I had to walk through. Um, 
I used to say that I was like a queen isolator, and I'm learning that the more I surrender and take baby steps, the more I'm really finding out I'm not so much an isolator. I think I, I used to tell myself I was an isolator, and maybe I was, but now there's a part, a big part of me that is okay to be around people. I used to think I was, like, socially retarded. You know, no offense to anybody that's whatever. But um, I just was like, I'm incapable of going to a party because I never went to them as a child or as a teenager and blah, 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 blah. And now I'm like, hey, if I go to a party, I'm not going to, like, dissolve into a puddle of water because somebody looked at me weird. I mean, like, so that kind of stuff. Um, how much time do I have left? Do you know? Oh, we're getting there. Okay. Um, so today, just kind of what I do, and I'll, I will say my abstinence is um, I eat six meals a day because I'm hypoglycemic and I do not in, eat in between. That, for me, is a, like an alcohol pudding. That, you know, people say, well, alcoholics don't have to drink. Well, they, ha- they do drink. They drink water. They drink soda. They drink tea. I don't eat my alcoholic foods. So if I don't eat my alcoholic foods... If I don't eat in between my meals, so for me, my abstinence is black and white. It's perfect. If I lick a spoon or have a nibble of something in between a meal, I've broken my abstinence. There's no, I drove in a car from California to New York and I broke down and I, you know, no. It's black or white for me. It has to be. There can be no vagueness and no gray area. Um, And then there's my alcoholic food list. And as I said, the top two contenders up there is sugar and flour. I have not had those in almost eight and a half years. And then there's an array of other foods. Um, I have the beautiful gift of having um, some health problems where that takes out another whole chunk of food. And you know what? I still love my food. I cook like a fiend. I'm always cooking. I feel like I, I should be Julia Child by now because I cook so much. And it's a pleasure. It's like I I don't have as many foods by any means to you know compared to what other people in even in program can eat, and that's okay for today because that's what keeps me abstinent. Um, and then I have my food plan, which it used to be a commercial plan that I actually didn't go to their meetings, but I used their plan. And then it transferred over to to counting calories, which with the help of my sponsor, and that's worked for me because I needed to learn that. Even if I said I could have an apple, I would buy the biggest apple I could find, like the size of a small child or my head. Like, you know, I'm, you know, if I ate baked potatoes, I probably would eat one, you know, in a huge size as well. Like, I had to learn that there are portions, and in order to maintain a healthy body weight, um, I have to eat for, you know, the calories that a person at that healthy body weight would eat. And that was a concept I never quite got. Um, I also, I've been through the steps many, many times. Right now I am, um, follow me here, I was, I've been on step six, and every time I hit a character defect that is really, 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 really strong, the last one was financial insecurity, then my sponsor, we dial it, we go back to one, two, and three on that character defect. So I worked one, two, and three on financial insecurity, and then went back to six, and then hit the um, relationship with myself problem. And I have to say I'm, I'm in the middle of step three on that and the peace that has come over me because I've learned that, you know, I, one of my most, I, aside from like wanting to be blissfully happy and farting flowers all the time, which I don't see happening, I want to have peace within myself and then peace around others. Like that's my ultimate goal because I have, have not had that most of my life. And the more that I learn to value myself, give clear boundaries to people, um, learn not to take 
you know, to be worried that somebody's mad at me, oh, that's a huge one for me still. Um, to look in the mirror, thank you, to look in the mirror and not be like, I hate you, instead, I love you. Like, wow, what a concept. It sounds cheesy as hell, but it's really done wonders for me. So the more that I bring that in, I also have to remember that I'm an expression of God. This is my own belief. And that why would God want to treat God, an expression of God, like crap? Like, I don't think that's what God's will is. And so my goal is to be as loving and supportive to myself as I can. And that's what happens is I stop being so afraid of others. I stop being afraid to give love to others. I stop being afraid to be open with people because I'm not so guarded and so afraid that you're not going to like me that I can't be myself. So, um, and I just wake up every day and I, I do a God letter and I work on my steps. I do my readings. I always read uh, either two pages in the big book or two pages in the 12 and 12. And... Um, very big on step 11, prayer and meditation. I keep evolving in my spiritual life. I'm very active in my church. And I also am getting deeper in my meditation where I was the person that would set the timer for three minutes and be like crawling the walls. I could not stand meditating. Um, and now I meditate twice a day. And I'm like, who is this person? And the more I meditate, crazy things happen like I need less caffeine. I'm not wigging out all the time. If I do get triggered in some way historically, it's a much shorter span of time. Um, and I want to leave time for questions, but I do want to say, aside from ha building a consistent and constant as much as possible relationship with my higher power, I mean, God walks me through everything from making a phone call to what do I need to do today kind of decisions to my food. Um, I think I lost my train of thought. Oh, I just have to remember the we part of the program, that when I feel like I'm freaking out about something, I can't talk myself out of it. I have to have call fellows that are strong with their connection with their higher power and the steps in the program, and that can say, Erica, have you done this? Have you looked at this? Have you thought of it this way? Um, and so just, I could go on and on about this program, but I'd rather take questions, and um, so I'll end there. Thank you. Last question. So the question is, do I get to the point where I feel good about myself for doing this? Um, it's a kind of a mixed bag. I don't like to take any credits for it, and I have the, the issue of, um, and that's been part of my work with this, how I treat myself, is I can only, in the past, have only been able to see um, what I want as opposed to how far I've come. So there's always this, this isn't good enough, you haven't done enough. Well, I've grown exponentially, and the people that know me know this, but I don't see that. And so I don't really go, hey, Erica, you've lost all this weight, and you're fabulous, and, like, that doesn't happen. But I also, I guess I don't really look at it like I achieved a goal. I don't, because this is a lifelong program for me, and I know that every day I want to move towards those promises. I want happy, joyous, and free. So it's really not about you know, oh, you did great. It's about, I want more. I want more peace. I want more connection. I want to be the person my higher power wants me to be. So um, for, the question was, how did I migrate from three minutes a day of meditating to what I do now? It's taken years. It has taken years, and it, the timer at a certain point just was not working for me, so I got into guided meditations, 
and that really helped me because, or I would meditate to music, and then it, now I do a combination of like a guided meditation in the morning, and then something called Vipassana meditation, which is basically <coughs> mindfulness, breathing at night, um, and it's just evolved, and I learned to be patient with myself and not be like, well, that person meditates for 30 minutes twice a day, what's wrong with me, you know, I had to be like, I want more peace. And this is what's going to help me. It also took three people in one week with my health challenges to say, if you meditate, you will start to feel better. And I went, okay, three people in one week, I need to put more effort into this. So, thank you. So the question is, how do I work the third step around my relationship with myself? And if something happens that makes me feel bad about myself, how do I use that as well? Um, I say in that God letter, I list out all the things that are troubling me. Um, and sometimes it is, like, how I treat myself. I'll do things when I start getting monkey mind is I'll plug into some kind of inspirational speaker or I'll listen to a podcast or I'll call a fellow, something to, to get me out of that. And I find that going to gratitude very quickly is the fastest way to get me out of that kind of... Um, but I was just in a cycle recently where I was so petrified that somebody was mad at me and wasn't going to talk to me anymore that I had to make a lot of calls and I had to pray and be like, okay, God, I'm powerless over this. I can't talk myself out of feeling extreme fear over this. And it got to the point where my sponsor just said something. It was like, do you really want a friend who would treat you like that ultimately? And that kind of turned the tables of, you know what, I'm worth more than that. And if they want to talk to me, great, but otherwise I can't let it twist me in knots anymore. So it's the we part of the program, I would say, that brings me back to my higher power. What I did early, oh, the question is how do I, how do I deal or how did I deal with the thought of never having sugar or flour again, okay? Um, early on, I had to, well, first of all, it's, I have to remind myself it's one day at a time. The other thing that really helped me is to be reminded of, I have eaten my lifetime supply of sugar and flour many, many, many times over. So when I think that I deserve to eat what that person's eating, I remind myself that there are children starving that I have eaten all of their food and then the person in the neighboring county. So that takes a lot of the sting out of it. And for me, I do remember the pain and agony associated with those foods. It has not left me in eight and a half years of the revulsion, the, just the pure, my skin was on fire. I hated my life. I felt like I was looking out from a deep well. I was in this dark hole, and so I associate that with those foods. And I pray to never forget that because my disease wants to, for lack of a better term, candy coat and have amnesia about how hor horrific that experience is. So, um, but when all else fails... One day at a time. Just for today, that's how my abstinence started eight and a half years ago was I would text somebody and say, I'm not going to have a hot fudge Sunday for this meal, but maybe for dinner. That's how it had to start. And um, I don't say you're never going to have sugar again. I just know for today I want a quality of life that if sugar becomes part of the picture, I may never come back from it. So, Okay, do I have any advice for the person that was gaining the weight? Can't, okay. Okay, so like beyond relapse, we don't have to go back to that time of relapse. Just right. if you can't look at yourself, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Like look in the mirror and go, oh, 
you know, I used to like make funny faces, and my eyes would get all because I can bug eye real good and do all these crazy things, and and I would be like, or sometimes I'd like give myself a cheesy little wink, and then it just got to the point where I could start to see like a, a it's, I lack of a better thing to say, it's like a, a little bit of God light in my eyes, and I'd be like, hey, that's really cool, and I love you, and and I started to re- realize that I am an expression of God, just like we all are, and that made things. It's just building upon it, like having the willingness to. I don't feel like sitting down and writing on this step, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's that kind of, what's that kind of, has been that kind of thing for me. All right.